Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. You turn every workout that you might be doing for enjoyment. You turn the timing of nutrient intake around that workout into work. You take tracking your recovery and your sleep. Now that turns into work. Cold exposure at specific times of day. That's work. Walks at specific times of day. That's your whole day is work. Like, and then think about what that takes away from. The first thing to go is probably connection with other people, namely your family and friends. Hey everyone, Meredith here, and you are listening to the Afternoon Snack Podcast. And today we're talking about biohacking and the quest to live forever, be superior, feel superior. What is biohacking anyways? Where did it come from? What actually works? What is worth doing? We are going to talk about all of it and leave you with some actionable things that you can include in your day-to-day life that are probably going to be a heck of a lot easier than you think. So grab your friends, your family members, your dogs, your cats, whoever you listen to podcasts with, and get ready to learn a few things. So I know you can't see us right now. You can only hear us, but I want to let you know that Meredith and I got extremely dolled up for this episode because somebody on Instagram the other day... I love how you just said somebody like it was only one person. Okay. Well, there was at least one person, but there were many, many more who argued that your hair not being brushed or done up impacted your credibility. And there was one rebuttal, not by us, and a great point. I don't know if I commented back the word touche, but in my head I did. And it was, well, Einstein had crazy hair and no one doubted him. Well, I'm sure somebody did. Somewhere along the way, someone said, I don't think we should believe that guy. He has crazy hair. But then there were obviously enough other people who were smart enough to know, hmm, I don't think the way that somebody wears their hair actually has anything to do with how smart they are or the legitimacy of what they're saying. And we hope that all of you out there are the latter. But just in case there's somebody listening who thinks that hairstyle does impact credibility, we are just to the nines. Yeah. And I, I mean, I didn't know how to, else to do my hair because this is sort of what it, so I corn wrote it. <laughs> so what you need to, in your, in your mind's eye, I'm in business attire with cornrows. Yeah. It's neat. It's neat. It is. It's tidy. Not a hair out of place. It's toit. Toit. And it's, it's, yeah. I mean, like my eyebrows are (laughs) like someone has taken my face skin and sort of, there's not a wrinkle in sight. I look very surprised (laughs) all of the time and I have a headache, but you know, if it means that I'm taken more seriously, then you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. We're both wearing bras as well. Yeah. We're tightening up. We are. No, I, in all seriousness, did you see the Chelsea Handler rebuttal to all the Fox News guys? No. So Chelsea Handler, who like, I feel like if you listen to us, you probably also know who Chelsea Handler is. But just in case. Who doesn't know who Chelsea Handler is? I don't know. She's like the one of the most famous female comedians that is. But she's like famously against having children, not for everyone, but for herself. Like she's very open with her decisions to not have kids. And she made this video, I don't know, maybe... 10 days ago, it was called a day in the life of a childless woman. Hilarious. And so like just on point. 
I feel like Chelsea Handler just like lives rent free in the minds of white conservative men who like hate that she exists and is so successful. So of course, like all the Fox News guys got on and we're talking about, you know, how sad she is. And, you know, your womb is a dried up tumbleweed blowing across the desert. Yeah, she made this rebuttal, like a clapback video, which I also made a clapback video this week that was in comparison, nowhere near as hilarious as hers, but she actually got to like call out specific people. And I'm not saying this is what's going on with us, maybe to some degree, but it seems like when people, and I'll say people, because I do think that this applies to certain men and certainly like non-binary people, just people who don't fit in like the box of what is quote unquote normal in society and then also go on to have success. That really rubs some when people say the normal, wrong way. It's like what's expected. Yeah. What has been like the standard of appearance, of behavior, of gender norms to be able to exist in the public eye when someone does exist in the public eye and they're well-respected, loved, they have success. There's a certain population of people that are going to have a problem with that. Because they don't like it. They can't even name why they don't like it. it but it, it just doesn't fit for them. It's threatening, probably, mm-hmm. to some extent. And yeah, I, I assume that that's definitely what happened with Chelsea Handler and probably also what happened. To, you, I mean, you look at our page and just scroll down and like, number one, we don't really wear makeup, hardly ever. A lot of videos are shot first thing in the morning. Don't do a lot of hair. You know, we kind of just are who we are in real life. And we have 160,000 followers. And like our engagement is through the roof. Like people seem to genuinely like what we're putting out into the world. And that has led to a certain amount of success for us, both online and in our personal and business lives. And I think that that is triggering to some people. (laughs) It's triggering, it's triggering to a subset of the population. And like we said before, I would also like to call those people. It's so it seems the vocal minority once again, but I think being who we are and showing up in the way that we do is actually bolstering our credibility and bolstering our ability to connect with regular people. Right. We're not that fitspo that shows up looking like a 10 out of 10. Not that we don't look 10 out of 10 in our own way, but we're not, you know, wearing sports bras and tight clothing and have our hair done. And not that there's anything wrong with that, no. but that's just not us. And we're not showing up in that way. And I think historically, those are the people who were kind of listened to in the terms of like speaking to women in fitness or, you know, the that's the classic female personal trainer. And like, that's just not the case anymore. And I think that's actually helping us right now. But there are people who are telling us that it's not and it's like, go away. What are you doing on our page? I love like, I was like, normally I would either just respond or I, you know, we would delete those comments. But my move this time around was to pin them. And I did respond to them, but I pinned them. And so then on those a handful of those comments that are pinned, there's a whole like, sub conversation going on about like, what are you doing here? Like, why would you comment that? It's amazing that the people haven't just deleted the comments, but that also probably supports the fact that they're fake accounts. And like, these people would never say something like that to us or anyone in person. But would I say back what I say online? 100%. You asked me that last week, would I say to someone's face what I say to them online? And absolutely, if they have the stones to say that to my face in real life, they're going to get it back 10 times. Yeah. Out of my mouth. It's funny because there are people with fake accounts commenting. And I think that's just what gets their balls off. 
But then there are people who are in our community <laughs> and don't kn- apparently know who we are. We are, and not to toot our own horns here, somewhat well-respected in the CrossFit community in Canada mm-hmm. and well-known given our history. And there are people in our community who make negative comments and we're like, dude, we know you. Literally, I've seen you in the gym. And also like we're friends with your gym owner that you're coaching at. And we like, we know your gym. And you know what? Because we don't tolerate internet bullying, we're going to go ahead and tag your boss (laughs) on your message in a response so that she can see how you're representing your gym. I've never seen a comment deleted so fast. Yep. Just like, it's just like some people, they think there aren't any repercussions online. And for some people there aren't, but for some people there are. And like, we're not about like getting vengeance or being malicious, showing them like who's boss. It's more just like, I mean, if you want to be shitty, like I, I believe that that behavior, it comes around a lot of the times comes around slowly Mm -hmm. and sometimes it comes around quickly. Yeah. If I can facilitate it coming around quickly, then I'm going to do that. Yeah. There's a lesson there. Yeah. And, and also we care about our friend enough to say, Hey, you might want to check this guy. Cause if, out, he's if kind of a piece of one shit. of our <laughs> employees or coaches showed up online like that and they knew that they worked for tactic nutrition, I would sure as hell want to know like how they're representing us. Oh, right. Yeah. And then would probably fire them immediately. Yeah. But cause that's just not cool. <laughs> but anyways, also, that was kind our, of hilarious. Our coaches would never do that. And yeah. also why we don't hire men. <laughs> just kidding. We would totally okay, hire But the right there guy. were women on our page spewing the same BS about your hair. Yeah, I know. They're just, there's hate comes in all genders, shapes, sizes, and fake profile names. So speaking of online shenanigans, this episode is going to be, we're talking about biohacking and then anti-biohacking. And in doing some research for this, because biohacking is a word that really gets, it gets thrown around a lot these days. And so when I was doing research for this, I started to recollect my like early understanding of biohacking. So there's, we're going to start with some definitions and I guess, clarifying some language. So what biohacking is truly is DIY biology. So when you look it up online, you're probably more likely to read about these DIY biologists, these community labs, people who are doing like science experiments, they're implanting devices to themselves. They're doing injections. You know, now that CRISPR is a thing, there's even people doing like plasmid modification and DNA manipulation. I got way down the rabbit hole in DIY biology. Totally. That's kind of biohacking under the umbrella of biohacking, which is large. You have people who are doing robotics. You have people who are doing implanting antenna. And then of course you have people doing actual molecular biology stuff. So under that umbrella is a subset of biohacking. That's probably what people actually think of when they think of biohacking, the extreme lifestyle interventions, extreme dieting, extreme exercise routines, that kind of thing. So you think like Dave Asprey, who like don't know who Dave Asprey is a bulletproof coffee guy, probably the most famous quote unquote biohacker out there. Like so that's longevity people. We'll get into the difference of long, because I do think there's a valid subset of, gosh, I wish there was another word for it, biohacking that is more towards the longevity thing that has relevance in the right group of people. Mm -hmm. But under the umbrella of biohacking, there's lifestyle biohacking. So the Dave Asprey stuff, Ben Greenfield, Rhonda Patrick, Andrew Huberman, that group of those practitioners, some are more educated and nuanced than others. 
So when we look at that subset of people in that realm of biohacking, then we can start to pull out the valid from the invalid. What matters, what doesn't matter. So within biohacking, at least what people are doing these days, you have extreme dieting, quacky lifestyle interventions, weird exercise, fasting, kind of all of these things that are in the news. And then that overlaps with reasonable lifestyle and health changes. So if you sort of envision like a Venn diagram, so biohacking's on the left, you know, scientifically backed health and lifestyle changes, things that we know work is on the right. There's like, there's a sliver of overlap where there's actually some legitimate science But that legitimate science really should only be explored when someone is really dialed in with the basics and the lifestyle modifications, the basic stuff, sleeping eight hours, exercising, eating in a reasonable way, that kind of thing. But what people do, and like this is just like what biohacking represents as a business opportunity is the promise of longevity, promise of better health, the promise of fast results. And so that is always going to produce a lot of interest and enthusiasm, best-selling books, popular websites, and a lot of people buying into certain ways of living, even though the evidence for that intervention doesn't stack up to the enthusiasm, especially not when done in a vacuum. Did I do a good job yeah, explaining that? you did. Okay. Dave Asprey is, I would say, the father of biohacking, at least in like the modern media, because he back in like the mid 2000s, sort of he's a bulletproof coffee guy, the guy who puts butter in his coffee, MCT oils. And he started a whole bulletproof business, like an empire of biohacking that was developed to basically extend the human life. And a lot of what he is a proponent of, he's a big you know, high fat, moderate protein, low carb, kind of a ketogenic guy without naming it ketogenic. Like that's what the bulletproof diet is, as well as adding in facets of intermittent fasting, things like that. You know, he really likes to throw around the word toxins when he talks about wheat and commercial food processing. I don't know. Crossfitters got really into bulletproof shit for a while. I don't know if you remember when Mm -hmm. that really took off, but like the guy has no formal education in nutrition or health. He, I think he's like a computer science guy, like an MBA, of course. You know, I have to hand it to him. <laughs> <laughs> Hard work. Really? Good uh, for you. <laughs> but he really, like, there's no scientific basis for, like, any of his claims beyond, at best, anecdotal. And really what I think it probably is, is like a he recognized the business opportunity because like biohacking and this desire to live a long time, like that's not new and it's not going anywhere. And I think as long as there's a population of people, which there always will be, who make it to their 30s and 40s and are like, shit, well, I didn't live the healthiest lifestyle up to this point. Like, what can I do now? Like there there are going to be people who are looking for a silver bullet for health, especially in the latter half of their life. And as long as there are people who are in that market and who have money, there are going to be people like Dave Asprey who are willing to sell them solutions. He has expectations that he will live until the age of 180 years old. Wow. That's what he says. He plans to live until he's 180 years old. Well, the thing is, is no one is going to know <laughs> if he does that. I know. I'm going to write that down no so that people, know. our next generation can be like, hey, is this guy still alive? Yeah. 
and be like, Alex Parker said to... Did he say to, I'm going to live to 180, just wait and see? I mean... <laughs> You just wait. Don't go anywhere because I'm not going anywhere. And I need proof of this. They get, yeah, I mean, he's he said he's he has spent at least $2 million on, quote unquote, hacking his own biology, including having his own stem cells injected into himself, taking 100 daily supplements, Wow, following a strict bulletproof diet, bathing in infrared light, using a hyperbaric oxygen chamber, and wearing special lenses when flying or using, using a computer. So Asprey. he's the modern age Benjamin Button? That seems to be the case. Asprey has also spoken about how biohacking has had a beneficial effect on his sexual health. And he or keeps, is he a vampire? He keeps an ejaculation journal for the year. I love that that is written down. Let's talk about Andrew Huberman because he's a pretty well-known guy in the, I'm going to say science space. He's educated, very educated, and he references everything. Yes. The problem with him, and I listen to his podcast and enjoy it. I don't listen to every single one. The problem with him is like, I will listen to a podcast and be like, okay, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do that. And like, there are some things where it's like, okay, I'm going to get morning sunlight, which since getting a dog I've been doing, and it anecdotally has made a difference in my sleep and my energy and all these things. There's stuff like that, that I think honestly falls into more of our scope, which is like the wellness, sustainable changes, like more reasonable type of things, like getting eight hours of sleep, all that. And he talks about sleep. But if you listen to every single one of Huberman's podcasts or a good majority of them, it's like, okay, he did a good one on sleep, but it's like, now he's recommending all of these supplements for sleep, which yep. have been supported in research. But it's like, okay, now you're taking all these sleep supplements. And then the next thing you hear is, okay, now you're going to be doing cold plunges every day. So now you're doing this cold plunge every day. And like, well, you can talk about the cold plunge after, but then you listen to the next episode and now he's talking about headaches. And like, I think we all kind of get headaches, but it's like, okay, well now we need to be supplementing all these other things yeah. for headaches. It's like <laughs> super dosing. And it's just at some point, like, it becomes an actual job to optimize your health. Yeah. I think if you want to pull out one or two things that you might be struggling from Huberman and and utilize his recommendations, awesome. But it, it's like at some point, where do you stop getting the return? And this is the whole, like in the, the personal improvement crowd, the biohacking space, people literally, they turn their entire lives into work. On top of probably also actually working. Yeah, because you're not Dave Asper. You're not making money off of biohacking yourself. Right. You're just doing that in your free time. And then yeah. also doing all this other stuff. And then like, what is the biohacking? So let's let's just name some common, like what are what are kind of the common, I'll say reasonable biohacks that people tend to, like they want to add in. So you have the morning and evening sunlight exposure walk. So the idea there is that, you expose your eyes to early morning sun and then you expose your eyes to the sun going down and that helps regulate circadian rhythm. Makes sense. Also true. You have cold plunge. That one's getting really popular. You have no TV or screen time past like 6 or 7 p.m. at night. That's one. Absolutely no light from 10 to 4 a.m. Yep. Like you can't look at your phone, which I'll, yeah, that, that kind of goes hand in hand with screen time. Yeah. What if you have kids though and you have like a baby monitor? That's right? a problem. That's a problem. It, getting eight to nine hours of sleep 
every single night. Supplements. Supplements, infrared exposure. That one's really popular with people who live in extreme hemispheres. Heat exposure. Yeah. Hot and cold exposure. What's another one that Hooverman really pushes and people are into? Yeah. And then the weird diets, like the, the very oddball, either like extreme fasting diets or extreme fasting and peculiar food selection and macronutrient distribution that yeah. makes social eating downright impossible. Food it's exclusion. Like breakfast with your friends, forget about it. Yeah. Nutrient timing. Brunch, <laughs> forget about it. So, I mean, basically you turn... Late night ice cream, forget about it. You turn every workout that you might be doing for enjoyment, you turn the timing of nutrient intake around that workout into work. You take tracking your recovery and your sleep. Now that turns into work. Cold exposure at specific times of day, that's work. Walks at specific times of day, that's your whole day is work. Like, and then think about what that takes away from. The first thing to go is probably connection with other people, namely your family or friends. I mean, think about the morning routine you've got going on. I mean, it's something you have exhausting. to go for a walk. You have to do your cold plunge. Then you have to do the heat exposure. You also have to, there's also a lot of research. I like this research on like mindfulness and journaling. So you've got that in there. So by the time your morning routine is done, it's lunch. I mean, think about like the morning cold plunge is the big one, which is supposed to upregulate like dopamine and serotonin production. But like, I don't know. Do you know what also probably upregulates dopamine and serotonin production? Having a coffee and like a really good poop. <laughs> They also, there's also research on delaying caffeine for 90 minutes, which like I've recommended to certain people, but at the yeah. same time, like who wants to do that? Right. Like the first thing I want when I wake up is a, to brush my teeth and then go down and enjoy a cup of coffee. Yeah. But I think that's all to say, like, it's just, it's so much. And then the big point that one of the big takeaways for us when it comes to biohacking is it distracts from the basics and the basics meaning like I guess there is some overlap, like sleeping eight hours, just eating nutrient rich food. I don't know. What else do we even preach? Like drinking water, enjoying meals out, like being vital. Right. And that's so much more than just being super dialed in. When it's okay. So to back up before we get into the distraction thing, like there's not a lot about biohacking that is particularly sustainable for most people. So maybe you you also run into the issue of you're not even doing one thing consistently. Like maybe three days a week you do the cold plunge and then, you know, well, I didn't do the cold plunge, but I did take a walk. And so you're kind of mixing and matching all of these interventions and not really sticking to a routine or schedule. And I see this happen all the time, which is why I'm saying this. So like, it, are they actually working as well as they are meant to be working? certainly not working as well as just like chilling out and nailing the basics that are a lot easier and also don't detract from the enjoyment of your life. It's like, are you really enjoying your life? I guess some people are, it's kind of like the same thing. Like, do you really enjoy your life when you exercise two or three hours a day? Like, yeah, that's what I like doing. But then it's like, I can ask the same question. Like, do you really enjoy your life when you're eating salmon eggs and the only, only the peels of apples? Like yeah. maybe for them, it's like, yeah, actually that makes me really happy. Right. But for a lot of people, it's like, eh, not really. I'm just doing it because I heard it in a podcast and it's going to make me feel good and all these things. Like, yeah. I mean, I think the invention and rise in popularity of wearable devices that makes measuring biometrics in real time possible is also a very distracting concept because it gives people 
the ability to measure their their sleep and apply data and numbers to that. It gives people the ability to constantly measure their heart rate. It gives people the ability to now, you know, measure their real-time blood glucose levels. And there are certainly positives to being able to do that and in certain populations of people for sure. But it it creates this kind of a neuroses. Like it's it makes people neurotic. And it's like, well, you know, what does this mean? Or what does this spike mean? You know, my blood glucose, you know, it went up during my workout and set it down. It went up overnight. It went up after I ate pork. Like, would you have known if you did not have that continuous blood glucose monitor? I mean, even just dialing it back and saying, we've talked about this whoop. Like when you wake up and your recovery shows 40%, you're not going to have a great day. (laughs) <laughs> and it's not because necessarily because your whoop says 40%. It's because you read that your whoop says 40%. So in the back of your head, it's like, there's that self handicapping, right? It's like, well, my whoop says I'm 40% sleep. I'm 40% recovered. Like, yeah, I'm not going to have a great workout. I don't know. I don't want to see if I'm 40%. Right. Like I just want to live my life and do the best I can on the day. That's the thing. And there's this concept, you know, in the scientific community. And I've certainly back when I was working in a lab setting, like data for the sake of data is not usually good data. And you don't actually want it because it can be so distracting to have that you miss trends that are actually relevant. Or you get stuck looking at this thing that isn't actually very impactful and you miss the big thing. So when you collect data, you want to be judicious with what you're collecting and then what you're using that data what question are you answering with it? What problem are you solving? Are you solving a problem or are you creating a problem? Yeah. And understanding the data, like there's one data point or one week's worth of data that leads to one conclusion or correlation doesn't mean that's going to be the case for every week. It's just one week. It's understanding how to utilize it. Yeah. But people are are pretty bad at pulling back mm-hmm. and doing that. The tendency when you have data is to zoom in, zoom in, zoom in. And a lot of biometric data really shouldn't be considered that close because it's not statistically significant or relevant and you don't have enough of it to, there's not enough repetition to say like, this is an actual trend versus this is data that I observed for today. Therefore I'm going to try to fix it tomorrow. That's problematic. You start to become out of control doing that. So let's talk about biohacking in our clientele's population. And then let's talk about documentaries, at least specifically one. Okay. So in our population of clients, you could arguably say that these are all people who are motivated to improve their health. They've signed up for coaching. They're paying us money to have a coach. Most of these people are not capable yet or built like need to work on building the habits to implement the basics on a consistent basis. And name the basics. Sleep eight hours, even seven hours self-care, like take downtime for yourself. Like some people are just go, go, go all the time. Like even things like small things like deep breathing or meditation, people don't have time for reducing screen time, like hitting their macros, eating enough protein, eating enough fiber, hitting the the appropriate sodium level, making nutritious choices, eating enough fruits and vegetables, planning ahead, drinking enough water. Yeah. Standing getting in workouts, walking, daily activity, going outside. Like those are what I would say are the basics. Yep. People can't implement all of those things. There's nothing against people. That's why they hire us and we help them. But a lot of people can't do even a couple of these things consistently. To ask them to now implement 
cold plunges, even like a bunch of different supplements. Like not only is that time consuming and takes brain capacity to think about it and remember, but it also is expensive. Like biohacking isn't easy. No. Like doing a cold plunge on paper, it's like, oh, I just get in a cold bath for two minutes. Not a big deal. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, first of all, you have to like fill your tub with cold water or be in a cold shower. And like, it's miserable. It's really hard. And also let's look at it. Like being outside in the cold doesn't count as like a cold plunge. And in the Huberman podcast, a lot of the benefits that come from cold plunging aren't necessarily physiological in that the cold exposure, it's more that your brain is becoming resilient in order for the cold plunge to be beneficial. You have to think that you are doing it for your benefit. So like going outside without a coat on because you forgot your coat and just shivering isn't the same thing as going under a cold shower because it has to be intentional. You have to believe that it's going to have a positive impact to your health Yeah, for it to have a positive impact to your health. So that leads me to believe like it's not just being cold. It has to be more than that. I have a, a sidebar to that. I'm going to do my best to find this research so that I'm not going to talk about it in the exact right way because I've only read it once. But basically it was these two groups of workers. One group was told that the work that they were doing, the physical work that they were doing with their bodies was going to improve their health. It's good for them to be physical. The other group wasn't told that. And then they monitored the health and fitness of those two groups of people over something like six to 12 months. And the group who believed that their work was going to benefit them physically, mentally, and in a health way showed improved health markers, probably because they were also taking better care of their diets. Maybe they were exercising in addition to doing the physical labor that they were doing, but believing that to be true made it true. And I think that that applies to, I mean, obviously the cold plunge, but I think probably if you go outside and you believe that going for that walk with your coat, put a coat on you silly goose. If you believe that going for that walk is going to improve your health, it will. That's the thing that is really interesting, but also tricky about something like a cold plunge, because if we were to evaluate that intervention scientifically, there's no way to blind that study because the, when we talk about a blinded study, you're talking about the group of participants or study participants that you're in or the person is in, they don't know which intervention they're receiving. They could be receiving the control, the placebo, or they could be re receiving the actual intervention. But something like a cold plunge, which is obviously perceivable, there's no way to blind that study. So the people who are in that group and who are exposed to that intervention know that they are, which is ultimately going to influence the positive that they experience from it. So it's really difficult to actually scientifically evaluate something like a cold plunge simply because there's no way to, to set the experiment up properly. Maybe the best way to do it would actually have, you know, you have both groups do the cold plunge and you tell one group, this is really good for your health. And then you tell the other group, this is not good for your health. And then you have a control group that you don't tell them anything. And then maybe you monitor what happens with those three groups. So you're not really blinding the cold exposure. You're, you're blinding the, the mindset almost going into it. Yeah. But, I mean, it's no different than somebody coming on and being like, and, and hitting their macros for the first week or even not hitting their macros and just feeling like they're focusing and making better choices with their nutrition. After two days, some people are like, I already feel leaner or like, I already feel like I have more energy. And I'm like, well, great. Mm -hmm. I love that. 
in my head, I'm like, yeah, there's no way that you're like noticing any changes in your body composition yet. But if you feel like this is going to be beneficial, that is really big by itself. And it's going to be motivating. And it's, you know, you already feel good because of something that you're doing. And it, it's not that it's not even true. Yeah. You probably do feel good, but not for the reasons that you think, but that's okay. I'm like, I'm willing to ride that wave. <laughs> so to go back to my point, like, it seems silly that this like biohacking movement is so big when there are so many people who can't even do the basics yet. You're not going to see the benefits that a lot of these biohacking strategies claim like fasting and zombie cell turnover or whatever when you're eating pizza or when you're not sleeping or when you don't drink water for heaven's sake (laughs) but people are intermittent fasting because they think it's going to help with apoptosis and I'm like dude you drink alcohol you know what I mean like stop drinking first yeah there's just there needs to be like a like a staging of all these practices yes and like if you don't do the basics first then you can't you shouldn't it's you're just wasting your time these like niche i'm gonna say niche fringe approaches aren't gonna override the fact that you're not sleeping or that you're not drinking water it's like taking a supplement like it just doesn't it's not gonna do anything you're better off spending your time and energy and your money on the basics because you're going to get a way bigger bang for your buck. And honestly, like as hard as they are for some people at first, they're a hell of a lot easier to sustain than these biohacking strategies. Yes. Like eating a fruit and vegetable at lunch or breakfast or dinner is a lot easier than a cold plunge. I promise you. Especially over the long haul and cheaper and better for the environment. It just seems like a lot of water wasted. Yeah. Yeah. So do you want to talk briefly about the documentary Limitless? Yes. So this is a documentary that has Chris Hemsworth in it. His angle is he wants to improve his health so that he can live a long time for his family. Reasonable. And so he sort of goes through all of these, you know, episode one is about stress proofing. Episode two is about shock. You know, there's fasting, strength, memory, and then acceptance of death. All of these episodes, they're like... They're a little hokey. I mean, it's like, how can we get this point across, but also make it as like theatrical and over the top as possible, right? I thought the first episode was legitimately very good. Agreed. And something that people, because it's less of a biohack and more about managing your stress and your emotions during highly stressful periods of time, which is something that almost everyone can get better at. Like box breathing. Yeah. Is actually... There's a lot of research behind that and slowing down. Yeah. So we watched the first episode and I was like, excellent. I'm so happy to watch this. And I was stoked that somebody like Chris Hemsworth, who's very well known, I'm not a movie person and I know who he is. And I'm like, I love that this is mainstream. Yeah. That like that, that people are talking about like self-care, stress proofing, mindfulness, deep breathing, meditation. Because it's always about the like, "Mm, we're going to fast or we're never going to eat meat again or don't eat chickens or don't eat eggs or whatever. Yep. And then we watched the second episode. (laughs) And I would say the first episode, it has, has, I can't remember her name, but it's a, she's a really well-respected doctor and she's, she talks a lot about the stress. And I just really found her very fascinating too. And then the second episode, we got the like super bro ultra endurance. I definitely follow him on Instagram now. Guy. But that was all about the, I think, the cold exposure for the 200 meter Arctic swim. And this is when it's just kind of like, okay. so we we started talking, you know, they're talking about the quote unquote science of cold plunging, which we know is not really well established science. 
at this point, partially because of, you know, what I just said. There are certainly like some anecdotal stories and they talk about in that episode, they have the Finnish ice swimmer who I watched a Netflix documentary on who's really good tell part of her story, which is very compelling. That's more of a pain management situation on top of... But again, fairly... Like, it's anecdotal. Yeah, but it's still a cool story. It absolutely Um, is, yeah. Her documentary is worth watching this episode, not really. You know, and at the end, he swims 200 meters in the Arctic. And, you know, at the end of every episode, they talk about how Chris is going to implement these um, things into his life. So it was like, okay, Chris is going to cold plunge or cold exposure for, you know, X number of minutes three times a week or something like that. They had a fasting episode with Dr. Peter Atia, who I think was in maybe two or three episodes. I like Peter Atia. I, his podcast is really good, but again, he's definitely more towards the fringe to sort of biohacky and becoming more of that, like the longer that he sticks around. But again, so, you know, we're looking at a four day, no food fast. Peter does this with Chris in the episode. And he's like, fine. <laughs> yeah, he's chilling. Chris is suffering. Yeah. And he, you know, is there a mechanism where that, like it definitely does result in some cellular turnover. That's true. We don't have the data to say that that specifically extends lifespan. There's like, we're making a leap, like, you know, because of X, Y. So we're making a bit of a mental leap there. But the episode was interesting. If you've ever wondered what fasting actually does to your body, they do a good job of explaining it in addition to like what happens with ketones and why energy fluctuates and all that stuff. And then at the end, and this is my my favorite episode. So he does this four day fast, you know, and then they break their fast with like a very reasonable meal. It was like fish, fresh vegetables. And I was like, that looks delicious. The fish he caught. Yeah, Uh, you're right. (laughs) With his, he was adapted with his harpoon because he had tapped into higher mental clarity because of the ketone bodies. Right, not adrenaline. Not that. But they get to the end of this episode and it was like, Chris is going to implement fasting into his life by doing intermittent fasting three days a week. There was more than that. And then he was like, and he's going to do a 24 hour fast. I can't remember exactly. I should have looked this up every month. And then he's going to do a four day fast every year. And yeah. Chris was kind of like, we'll see about that kind oh, of, <laughs> yeah. but I also loved in that episode, his buddies were going to, were doing it with him. Yeah. And I kind of liked this part because it was actually like real. And they were like, okay, we're done here mm-hmm. after like a day or two. And then of course the thing they go for is like, they ordered a bunch of pizzas, which you know is probably what Chris is going to do after the four day fast 100%. anyways, after the camera shut off and he's done eating his freshly caught grilled fish. I mean, that's an assumption. That's a safe assumption. But though. he does talk about how he eats all these different foods and stuff. And I'm like, so once again, like maybe just don't eat shitty processed foods. Yeah. I don't want to label foods, but you know what I mean? Yeah. If you're that concerned with longevity, probably there's there's no space for pizza in your diet. Yeah. Ever. If we're being logically consistent with our approach here. Yeah. But yeah, intermittent fasting and prolonged fasting are not even close to the same thing. Like nowhere near apples for apples. And then also, I really don't think you can talk about longevity without talking about the longitudinal data that exists that correlates a high calorie intake, specifically high protein intake early in life with lower life expectancy. There's a correlation between eating a lot of food, like a lot of athletes do, and living for less time, which is just very ironic to me because in the follow the next episode, he's getting into strength training and all of that. And he's bulking up for one of the Thor movies and just like eating his face off. And I'm like, really, we're not going to talk about the impact that that type of eating has on lifespan. No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Cause there's actual data that's supports that one. But I did like, again, 
the one thing I did like was Chris obviously is a very healthy looking guy, but it was like, okay, Chris, you don't do any cardio. No, that's important. And I think there are probably, there's a subset of the population who look like they're very fit and healthy, but they don't do any cardio based workouts. Probably think it's going to impact their muscle mass or I don't know. It's going <laughs> to hurt my gains. Yeah. Bro. But that was kind of, there, there were definitely things that I took out of that where I was like, okay, that's, that's a good message. Yeah. Like obviously I'm not a doctor, like an expert, but just from my experience. Yeah. But yeah, there were some things that were not logically consistent at all. For sure. So that's again, the implementation of these types of techniques. When you look at Peter Atia, that guy probably is doing everything right, including the type of training that he has done his entire life. You know, what he eats, eats and drinks on a regular basis, how much he sleeps. Like, yes, fasting for Peter Atia a few times a year, 100%. Yeah, I'm not sitting there being like, Peter, what are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> and that's fine. And he probably gets a lot of enjoyment out of doing that. Yeah, um, but, but he also like, makes money off of it. Right. It's a part of his brand. Yep, which is like all of these biohackers, you have to understand that is part of their angle. They're selling, you know, maybe they do everything that they say they do. Maybe they don't. But part of what they're selling is that they do. They're um, getting paid to biohack. Yeah. And that's a lot of incentives. 100%. Money is a great incentive. Yes. So there's some overlap. Let's just say there's some overlap in lifestyle and in, in basic health behaviors. And I would say that overlap is sun exposure. If you can in the morning, that is something worth doing. Even if you just go out and stand outside, you don't even have to walk. Yeah. No sunglasses don't look straight into the sun. Yep. And if it's cloudy, it's okay. Yeah. It's, be it's better to prolong it, but we yep. won't get into the science. No, but even just 10 minutes outside mm. in the morning, phenomenal. Sleeping eight to nine hours a night, that one is a non-negotiable for us with our clients. If we can get them, you know, if, let's say if something prohibiting their sleep. It's a foundational. It's a foundational thing. And it sort of tends to make other behaviors a lot easier. And then eating the appropriate amount. Yeah, probably calorie control. And I think that there's a facet of biohacking that supports a moderate calorie restriction, eating slightly less than your physiological needs, which is probably a good thing. The asterisk to that is if you're an athlete, it is not a good thing. If you're someone who's exercising regularly and trying to make progress in the gym, you want to be eating at that maintenance or even slightly above maintenance to help with gym. And that's the three. That's the three. So sunlight in the morning, sleeping, and then calorie control. So when we look at actual science-backed health behaviors, not hacks, these are behaviors, they're foundational. There's a few, and these come from two studies. The first is low-risk lifestyle behaviors and all-cause mortality findings from the National Health and Nutrition Examination Study. And then the other one was done from a prospect cohort study five years after that one. So 2010 and 2015 respectively. So these are, like you said, we want to move our body every single day. So develop a practice of movement. It doesn't need to even be anything like specific, 30 minutes or more a day. It can be a walk. For a lot of people, walking is a really great entry into exercise. If you want to do a longer, more structured session, aerobic, strength training is a really great idea. But really, whatever you feel like you can do consistently and will help build practice of movement, do that. Number two is avoid highly processed foods. So I feel like that kind of is an intuitive one. And it's not that there's necessarily anything wrong with highly processed foods. It's just that they tend to displace a lot of calories in the diet and make hitting productive macronutrient ratios a little bit harder. They're not usually as dense in vitamins and minerals and tend to be a little bit higher in saturated fats, like things that just don't necessarily do you a lot of favors when it comes to health and wellness and physical progress. Like, if, yeah, an apple 
is a carbohydrate. So is a Skittle. Maybe have more apples than Skittles. But have some Skittles. But don't just not, not a eat ton. Skittles. I know. Have scones. Also have a vegetable. Yeah. Basically, don't have scones and Skittles replacing everything else all the time. Right. A man cannot live on Skittles alone. Neither can a woman. A person cannot live on <laughs> Skittles alone. The next one, we've already harped on it. Gonna harp on it again. Sleep at night. Seven to nine hours. If you're an athlete, sleep more. Ten hours. That one's really like the research is so clear on sleep. It's insane. It has such an effect on health and wellness and brain health and preventing neurological disease and all that, that stuff. If there's something that sits at the base of the pyramid, it's sleep. Do you agree? I agree completely. Limit or cut alcohol completely out. It's crazy how widespread alcohol consumption is, like routine, considering how bad it is for your body. This again is something that's pretty well known. Even small amounts of alcohol have a pretty deleterious effect on health. Health Canada just revised their recommendations on alcohol to fewer than two drinks per week. Yeah, that's a tough one because a lot of people, it's value it for its social benefits. Yeah. It's fun to do with friends. It's enjoyable. There's a social aspect. And as a nutrition coach, when people have goals, like the answer is, yeah, like alcohol is going to prohibit you from hitting your goals, but there's also this other value. I mean, it's all cost benefit. Like it might actually provide enough value from a social standpoint to be worth it in the right amounts. Yeah. I don't know that like high amounts of alcohol are ever a good idea, but social and moderate consumption or like occasional consumption is probably okay. And yeah, in some situations like yeah. our wedding. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> if you were to drink two alcoholic drinks per week for a year, but you don't because you want to be healthy, don't drink all of those drinks in one night to make up for it. Don't those are catch up. Don't that's those are my words of wisdom. You can cram for a test. You cannot cram alcohol. <laughs> no, you cannot cram enjoyment from alcohol. No. It's going to feel like you can for like a few minutes. <laughs> for can. a few hours and then everything comes crumbling down. Yeah. The next one, build community and friendships, like actual community and friendships in person. Loneliness kills people. Yeah. Full stop. I think that's a big one. You know, the trap of kind of optimizing your life and hacking and turning everything about your health takes away your time and your presence with other people and your ability to build relationships. So don't like, don't fall into that trap of, of trying to just do everything yourself by yourself, be heroically individual. It's okay to pull back some effort with the optimization to connect with friends, connect with family members, build a community, get involved in activism or, you know, whatever you need to strengthen bonds with actual real people in actual real life. No tobacco or nicotine. I actually can't believe that people still smoke. But that one's, that's the data on that one's really obvious. And even like the data on vaping is not looking so good. Not as good as it used to from a health standpoint. And then lastly, stay intellectually engaged. Never stop learning. So I think that's a, also a really important one is to just keep pursuing academic endeavors. Keep learning. Stay curious. You know, listen to podcasts that teach you something. Listen to concepts that challenge you, that stand in the face of what you believe or what you want to believe to be true. And then, you know, don't push back immediately or have hard conversations with people, have deep conversations with people. I think you can make connections with people and stay intellectually engaged at the same time. You can sort of, you can put those two together a lot of the time. 
That's it. Or that's the list. I have one more to add. Okay. And it's to rest and recover. Take time to relax. Go on vacation. And take time away. Yeah. Take a day off. Take a mental health day. Take a sick day. And don't feel guilty about it. Have a movie day with your kids. Like that is also productive. It's not doing nothing. Yeah. It's actually productive. You know, what's funny is, I mean, I'm sure you remember a time when you couldn't go on vacation without mapping out where the gyms were. And I think a lot of people still, their vacations sort of pivot around like, well, can I work out? Is there a CrossFit gym? I don't even know if we've talked about if we're, uh, if we're to a place where you could take a vacation and not worry about where the gym is. I guess running helps with that. Well, I mean, I did go to Africa and didn't go to a gym. Tanzania. Okay. I did go to Tanzania. I did work out. But I mean, like even just taking time away from work, we're so connected. And Mm -hmm. am I talking to myself right now? Yes, I am. Also, active recovery is not a thing. No. If you're somebody who is trying to move towards a rest day and you struggle with that, which there are people out there like that, active recovery can be the gateway. To actually rest. To actually rest. Okay, fine. Like, I'll give you that. And that's the value there. It's the mental. I love when people swim. I love when people swim on their active recovery days. And it's like, well, are you a swimmer? And they're like, no. And I'm like, that is like the worst active recovery you can do. Your body, your brain thinks you're drowning. Yeah. It's not just physical. It's mental. Like I used to struggle with taking days off of studying at school. And then I thought of it and the like, okay, well, you take rest days from working out. I mean, I didn't really back then. Yeah. But I knew that they were important. And I had to say to myself, it was important to take a day away from schoolwork in order to get the most out of my studying. Because if you just keep going and going and going, then you just stop being able to remember things or you just need a break from it. And I think that's true for everything in life. I completely agree. And I think all of us live in this world where time is precious and there isn't a ton of extra time. Yeah. I, and, but also with that said, I think it's, you know, if you are someone who's really crunched for time, legitimately audit your time. Do you have as little time as you think, or do you just use it maybe like inappropriately? Are you wasting it? So I think if you are limited on time and energy, it really is best to, to just focus it on this, you know, the basics, sleep, connect with people, move your body, eat a high quality diet, stay learning, do all of those things, put your efforts there. And then, you know, if you have leftover time and you're like, yeah, I think I'd, I'd like to try cold plunging and see what that does for me, then do that, you know, or maybe cold plunging helps you stay motivated to do some of those things. And that's okay. But I think that's, you know, if we are taking the angle of time is limited, hell yeah, it is. And you better make sure you're using it on things that actually make a difference. Yeah. The longevity thing's not going anywhere. And, and I think people with biohacking, the timing of it, like with every a, a few things that have gotten really popular in the last 10 years, it kind of took off with the rise of social media, the, you know, 2000, what, to 13 to now, you saw just tons of biohackers and people promoting this. And I think it's really enticing to listen to and to, I think people want to believe that there are simple solutions to very complicated problems and, you know, health, when it becomes a problem tends to be a very complicated problem. Yeah. It's tempting to believe I just have to cold plunge and fast a few times a year and, you know, eat this really peculiar diet or take this stack of supplements and I can fix all of my health problems. Well, no, you can't. It's not that easy. Even though that's not easy, it's, it's almost easier to buy into doing that stuff than like 
doing the boring basics for a really long time. That's hard. Funny story on auditing your time. I've had, this has happened twice. So I have a little worksheet where you can audit your time. So you take one day and every 30 minutes you write down what you've done. And so then you can look back on a typical day and be like, okay, well, I wasted a bunch of time. Oh, shoot. I was on my Instagram from 530 to six before dinner. I could have been reading or doing a workout or whatever. It's actually a cool exercise. But the two people who have told me like, oh, I just, I struggle so much. I feel like I'm wasting time. I need to be more organized. I just don't have time to do anything. And I'm like, well, I see you're on social media. I see you're doing all these things. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's like, where's the value? So I send them this time auditing worksheet and both people have been like, I'm like, have you, did you do it? Did you learn anything? And it's, I didn't have time for it. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> that's, that's actually, you haven't told me that story. And then before. one of them ghosted me and then the other one just pretended I never asked that question. Yeah. They probably <laughs> felt very seen. They're like, we didn't get your witch shit out of I here. I think some people just want to, they want some other solution that doesn't require like this, like understanding and awareness and audit where are you spending your time and what needs to change? They want somebody to say, here's the magic solution. Here are two extra hours in the day. And by the way, you don't have to stop doing all of these naughty things that you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. Here are two extra hours. Keep surfing Instagram for four <laughs> hours a day. You don't need to stop doing that. What you need to stop doing is going to work. I don't know. <laughs> like, you know, that's so ridiculous. Yeah. Right. If you, want, if you want to do new things, generally you have to displace other. It's kind of like that thing. It's like spend money to make money. It's like give time to get back time. Like give some time to like figuring out where you can structure and how you can structure your day so that you can have more time for the rest of your life. Take 30 minutes to audit your time. Yeah. If you have a problem with working at the end of the day when you really should be spending time with your family, leave your laptop in your car, like your work laptop. Yeah. Leave it in your car. But then it's like, well, no, but what if my boss emails me? So then I think the crux of it is people, they're so resistant to actual change. Yeah. And that's a whole other conversation. Well, we should have that conversation. But I think the, the crux of this conversation is your time is limited. Don't spend it on stuff that won't yield any real results, even though there are people all over the internet promising great results. Yes. Doctors and just... Our tip is if they are selling something like a book or a product and they're promising some sort of quick result, probably steer clear. Yes. That is what we call a shark. I mean, we, we sell some too, but it's different. We don't sell a solution. No. No. Yeah. With that said, this podcast has been brought to you by Tactic Nutrition. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, individual. Heading, heading the anti-biohacking movement. No, I mean, it, it, yeah, if you want to work with us, you know how to work with us, but we're, we don't certainly. I can't that, believe, but. given all the stuff on the internet and on Instagram, that anybody signs up for our. The people who sign up are, I think, are the ones who've already tried all of that other stuff and they're like, dang it. I guess, I guess <laughs> these two are right. <laughs> but then they sign up for our service and they're like, well, this isn't what I saw from Dr. Huberman. <laughs> well, There's nothing in this plan about cold plunge. Yeah. What about fasting windows? No. We've actually gotten that message before. Yeah. So. Great. Well, this has been a good episode. Thank you for joining me once again, Alex. It's always a pleasure. I am happy to make time to come all the way over and put some headphones on and hop on to make the podcast that much more entertaining Love that. for our listeners. If you made it this far, send us a DNA emoji. You're the worst. I know it. We appreciate you listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, like, subscribe, share it with your friends, and we will catch you on the next one. <laughs>